Hello and welcome to episode 85 of Pay-Per-View. And before we start, I just want to say that I'm delighted to say that my new book, Reality Check, All Being Well, will be out in early November, out early next month. And it's a book that is needed at this time. And the central theme is to question everything and the world is in the state that it's in as a result of people taking what they're told from the media and from government and etc instead of questioning what they're told and had people done that over the last couple of years then the world would not be in the mess that it's in now i'm talking of the mess that it's in now and the first subject of this episode is house prices this is in the daily mail we just can't afford to buy family of four say they are stuck renting after ruling out buying a new home due to soaring mortgage costs as 10 banks pull loans amid fears of sharp interest rate rise that could see repayments jump by £10,000 a year. A family of four have been forced to abandon their years-long plan to buy a suitably sized home as they've become the latest victims of surging interest rates, which analysts fear will climb to 6% next year amid a plummeting pound sterling. Sales executive Verity Blair, 35, said she and her fiancé Alex just can't afford to buy anymore after the Bank of England upped the rate to 2.25%, meaning their monthly mortgage repayments would have been £4,000 double the price they were quoted in February of this year. The couple who shared twin daughters Penelope and Sophia are now stuck renting in the expensive London market after spending years getting themselves in a position to buy a family home, branding the situation scary. It comes as a growing number of banks are withdrawing mortgage deals over fears the Bank of England will further raise interest rates to counter the plunging pound, increasing repayments for the average family by as much as £800 a month or £9,600 annually by the middle of next year, according to The Telegraph, which used the example of someone coming off a two-year fixed mortgage. Lenders across the country, including Halifax, Virgin Money and Skipton have taken the step after analysts warned the base rate could surge to 6% next spring and after the UK sterling plunged in response to Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng's mini-budget announcement in which he revealed a historic £45 billion in tax cuts. Others to uphold or amended deals include Clydesdale Bank, Scottish Building Society, Leak United Building Society, Nottingham Building Society, Bank of Ireland and Pence and Paragon Bank. Meanwhile, HSBC and Nationwide reported no plans to change or withdraw mortgage offers, although the latter, alongside NatWest, said it would keep the market under review. Lloyd's TSB has yet to comment on its mortgages. Ms Blair told Men Online, we are finally in a position to buy a family home outside of London, but the price point we were looking at in February of this year, just six months later, would mean our monthly mortgage payments would double from approximately 2000 a month to 4000 a month. It's scary because that is only set to increase Everyone is talking about the energy price crisis, but for most people, their mortgage is the biggest bill they pay every month. I'm not sure how people will cope when this comes to affect them when current fixed rates run out. After several years of trying to get in a position where we can buy a family home, we continue to be stuck renting because we cannot afford to buy owing to rent, owing to rate hikes. The couple have another flat in London, but are unable to sell as it is worth 15% less than when it was purchased seven years ago. The climbing mortgage rates could spell disaster for millions of other families who are already struggling with the cost of living crisis, while first-time buyers face monthly repayments upwards of £1,100, a third more than they were paying in January, according to property portal Rightmouth. Another homeowner, who only gave his name as Matthew H., said his social worker 
wife is now having to look for extra part-time work to cover the rise in mortgage costs. The couple's fixed rate at 1.34% with Skipton will expire in January. He told Mail Online, an increased rate of 4.5%, currently the best fixed, will no doubt be closer to 6% when I am free to review options. On a mortgage of £340,000, this is going to add £500 plus to our monthly payments. The limited tax cuts afforded to middle-class workers will not even scratch the surface. We are in times of deep worry, incompetent government policies and deathly silence from the Treasury. We can't sit here like chickens waiting to be plucked, so my wife is looking for a part-time additional job to supplement family income. A mother who asked to remain anonymous said she and her partner's mortgage payments were set to double under the new interest hike. I'm terrified, she said. We both have good salaries and work full-time. We have a daughter. This will push us into poverty. One landlord warned the banks will make people homeless and there will be empty houses which won't sell after she and her partner's mortgage payments have soared by 89%. Amanda Osborne, who owns five buy-to-let properties on variable rate mortgages, told Mail Online, our income has not increased by that much and obviously we cannot increase our tenants' rent by 89% to match these increases and certainly not as rapidly as the interest rates have gone up. It's simply unaffordable on incomes as they are. More interest rate increases, which seem inevitable given the B of E approach to this mess, is simply not affordable. So we are in a situation where we could sell, but no one could afford to buy, or we increase tenants' rent so that it is unaffordable and they can't pay. Either way, the banks will make people homeless and there will be empty houses which won't sell. Gary Sanders, 53, said the successive increases in mortgage rates so far this year alone have forced him to put his home back on the market. He told Mail Online, People are suffering now because of the seven increases since the end of last year. My mortgage has already risen from just over £500 a month to £1,200 a month. I know if they are going to go higher, I have put my property on the market as I have no choice but to sell. I am a 53-year-old man who has worked hard his whole life and I find myself being forced to move back with my parents. I am a staunch conservative, but what a sorry state this country is in after 12 years of conservative leadership. The article continues. It comes as other homeowners took to social media to say they are terrified of the rising interest rates. As one wrote on Twitter, I think we may end up homeless. Another said he laid awake at night worrying about how he would afford the hike in repayments, branding anxiety on steroids, while a single mother ple pleaded for help, adding, I'm so scared. Others said they were so glad that they had been locked into longer fixed deals, meaning they won't be affected by the rate rises until their terms end. I'm very thankful for my fixed rate mortgage. One wrote, things look pretty dicey for folks whose deals will expire soon. The article continues. Meanwhile, lenders like Halifax reported extremely busy phone lines as homeowners scrambled to remortgage or chat with a mortgage advisor. The base rate is currently at 2.25% after the seventh consecutive increase up from a record low of 0.1% in December. An increase to as high as 6% next year would be a major blow for around 2 million homeowners who have variable loans which move in line with the base rate. There are also a further 1.8 million borrowers who are currently locked into cheap fixed deals which are due to expire over the next year. They now face paying thousands of pounds more a year when they come to remortgage as lenders frantically hike the rates to reflect analysts' predictions. Someone who took out a £200,000 two-year fixed mortgage in March 2021 when the average rate was 1.5% would see their annual bill leap by £7,000 if rates rise to 6% according to figures from investment firm AJ Bill. 
is another setback for borrowers desperately seeking to lock into an affordable fixed deal. Many lenders have responded to interest rate uncertainty by temporarily quitting the market altogether. As many as 20 lenders moved to withdraw dozens of loans, according to mortgage broker LNC, the pan steadied in early trading in Asian markets as it recovered ground slightly. Sterling sat around $108 by 7 a.m., but economists have warned it could still fall to parity with the dollar this year for the first time. Senior Tory MP Hugh Merriman, who backed former Chancellor Rishi Sunak for Conservative leader, warned Liz Trust may be losing voters with policies we warned against as a new YouGov survey put Labour 17 points ahead, the party's greatest lead since the firm started polling in 2001. Mortgage giant Halifax poured all its products for home buyers to charge a fee as a result of significant changes in mortgage market pricing in recent weeks. A string of smaller lenders followed in its footsteps. Halifax stressed that it had not changed its mortgage rates and that it continued to offer arrangement fee-free options for borrowers. Meanwhile, Virgin Money removed its entire range for new customers. Applications for mortgages which have already been submitted will be processed as normal and existing borrowers will still be able to transfer to a different deal. Among other lenders, HSBC said it had no plans to change mortgage offers, while NatWest said its rates were under continual review in line with market conditions. David Hollingworth of Mortgage Brokers LNC said, Volatile funding costs are forcing lenders to reprice their loans. That's been true all year, but that volatility received a turbo boost as markets react to events. As a result, more are taking the decision to step back until the dust settles. Strong demand for fixed deals as borrowers look to batten down the hatches poses another issue as if they get the pricing wrong they could be swamped with applications which they are not able to process efficiently. Experts have warned that middle class homeowners who stretch themselves to buy bigger homes could be among the worst hit by soaring mortgage costs. Mortgage broker Rachel Dixon said middle income families who don't always benefit from financial help from the government will be the most impacted. These families are already squeezed with the cost of living so this will be just another added burden for them. The article continues, mortgage companies are also now factoring in higher household bills when calculating how much homeowners can afford to borrow, which can make it even harder to find a competitive deal. And they are becoming increasingly cautious about lending to those individuals they deem riskier, such as first-time buyers with small deposits in the self-employed. Anisha Beveridge, head of research at estate agent Hamptons, said, First-time buyers will be amongst the hardest hit by rising rates. Not only is inflation eroding their ability to save, but higher interest rates are also affecting how much they can afford to borrow. Sarah Coles, a senior analyst with Hargreaves Lansdowne Financial Services Company, said, Rate prediction is a notoriously difficult business, but what's not in any doubt is the rates are on their way up. The more the inflationary forces build, the higher they are likely to go. The article continues, the pound fell dramatically in the wake of Kwasi Kwarteng's money budget, but the Bank of England stopped short of an emergency interest rate hike. Governor Andrew Bailey issued a statement insisting Threadneedle Street will not hesitate to act, but did not pull the trigger on an increase that markets had anticipated. The move came after Mr Kwarteng tried to calm market fears by announcing he would lay out fiscal rules on government debt as part of an autumn statement on November 23rd alongside a full independent assessment of the state's books. But economists fear Sterling could slump to parity with the US dollar this year for the first time it sat at about 108 US dollars. Shai Weiss, chief executive of Virgin Atlantic, urged Prime Minister Liz Trust to take a difficult decision which will boost the currency's value. Speaking at a press conference in central London, he said, The weakness of the pound is hurting, not Virgin Atlantic, is hurting the economy and it's hurting consumers because it's actually fulfilling or fueling the inflation vicious cycle that we're in. 
The message to the government is pretty clear in my mind. Prime Minister Liz Truss has taken difficult decisions upon entering into the role. Maybe you need to take more difficult decisions to reverse the declining pound and ensure that this country is not left with unsustainable unsustainable perceived weakness in international markets, which of course then impact interest rates, impact consumers, impact mortgage rates, impact the entire economy. So yes, we are concerned. The fundamentals are strong, but we are concerned, of course, like everyone else in this country, with the economic environment in which we operate. Sometimes all of us in this room should be humble enough to say, if I did something that is not working, maybe I should reverse course. That is not a bad thing to do. It comes as Mr. Quartin was scheduled to meet with city investors to discuss a package of deregulation as he contends with massive market turmoil sparked by his tax-cutting mini-budget. The Chancellor met with pension funds, insurers and asset managers to discuss what is being billed as a Big Bang 2.0, a reference to Margaret Thatcher's 1986 policies which kicked off a massive change in the city. Aviva, Legal and General, Royal London, BlackRock, Fidelity and JP Morgan were all expected to be in the room. On a roller coaster day, sterling dropped as low as just 10327, briefly returned to just over 108 before going quickly back down to 106 dollars. Because many key commodities are priced in dollars, a weak pound drives inflation up further. Markets are now pricing in the headline interest rate reaching 6% by next year, heaping more misery on families. The cost of government borrowing also rose to the highest rate in a decade, causing another headache for Mr. Quateng as he is using extra debt to fund tax cuts in the energy bills. Bailout. However, he is refusing to change course after insisting on yesterday that there are more tax cuts in the pipeline. Mr. Bailey said in a separate statement, the bank is monitoring developments in financial markets very closely in light of the significant repricing of financial assets. In recent weeks, the government has made a number of important announcements. The government's energy price guarantee will reduce the near-term peak in inflation. The government announced its growth plan on which the Chancellor has provided further detail in his statement. I welcome the government's commitment to sustainable economic growth and to the role of the Office for Budget Responsibility in its assessment of prospects for the economy and public finances. The role of monetary policy is to ensure that demand does not get ahead of supply in a way that leads to more inflation over the medium term. As the NPC has made clear, it will make a full assessment at its next scheduled meeting of the impact on demand and inflation from the government's announcements and the fall in sterling and act accordingly. The MPC will not hesitate to change interest rates by as much as needed to return inflation to the 2% target sustainably in the medium term in line with its remit. Well, the key thing to understand current events at any point in time is that the world is run and directed by a global cult to an agenda for total global human control and enslavement. This agenda was drawn up centuries ago and is getting ever closer to being completed now. I have laid out this agenda in this podcast for the last four years and in my books, the first one and the new one out soon, and in various other ways for half my life now. And people being unable to buy their homes and having to rent them is the agenda. And this is where the phrase of cult asset, Klaus Schwab of cult and World Economic Forum fame comes from. You will own nothing and you will be happy. The idea is that people rent everything from the state. And if you don't live your life as the government and the state says you should, then then you are not allowed to continue renting. Total control. The agenda that I've laid out is unfolding. and We've seen it especially more visibly unfolding since 2020. The structure planned for this agenda is 
a global elite less than 1% in mega mega luxury even more than they are now the global population in mega mega poverty even those who think they have enough money that none of this would affect them even they are in the gun sites of this structure planned if you're not part of this cult they want your money too in between the cult and the global population the plan is for a vicious military police force in the end robotic police force run by artificial intelligence forget about class working class middle class upper middle class forget about that the cult want everyone in poverty except them and their gophers and assets and just one key point to make about this cost of living crisis energy crisis and that is it doesn't have to exist it shouldn't exist there's no reason for it because free energy technology which can give people all the warmth and power they need forever for free once the technology is set up and it's a one-time cost to set it up and then it's free forever has existed for decades i know that for a fact it has existed for decades and but of course if the public are given access to it then overnight this cost of living crisis in terms of energy bills which is a big part of the cost of living crisis will be over forever and if you want people to be in dependency on you for survival thus you control them the last thing you want is for them to have access to this technology so the idea that we, we have to pay companies energy companies for energy is, is ludicrous there shouldn't be energy companies in the sense of you have to pay us for your energy there's no need for it this technology has existed for decades to allow people to have free energy to give them electricity warmth but as i've said over the years society is agenda driven not people driven the direction of society in current events is not driven by what's best for people it's driven by what's best for the cult's agenda and if that means consequences for the people then so be it and i've also said over the years that you cannot understand current events at any point in time without understanding the existence and nature of the cult's agenda because that is why things are happening at any point in time in terms of the direction of human society and major events and that's what this podcast is all about laying out the agenda to allow current events to be seen in their true context so talking of current events the nord stream pipeline being attacked does not benefit russia in any way as it just gives the west more ammo to demonize putin who had leverage over the west with the pipeline why would he blow up the pipeline it makes no sense as a result of the pipeline being attacked the energy supply is impacted even more and energy prices will increase again as a result which suits the cult's agenda biden or rather his script writers on behalf of the cult and victoria newland under secretary of state for political affairs in the biden administration have both said that if russia invades ukraine the nord stream 2 pipeline project won't go ahead and will be attacked i explained the role newland has played in ukraine politics in the last episode who is more likely to have blown out the pipeline putin or america or even more likely a proxy so to allow america plausible deniability they can say we didn't do it we know nothing about it nothing to do with it while knowing that a proxy another country did it for them since 2020 we've had the biggest transfer of wealth in history businesses went under people lost jobs while cult corporations like amazon profited handsomely the cult played the COVID hoax for many reasons, one of which was to destroy independent income and cause the very destruction of the economy and cost of living crisis that we're seeing now. The fact that the economy would be the lasting impact of the COVID hoax was obvious from the start. 
governments who previously could do nothing apparently for homeless people and those in extreme poverty suddenly had a blank check to offer relief packages and furlough payments so people who were not at work because their job was ordered to close were being paid by the government to stay home and some of them would later find they had no job to go back to because their job had closed down because it could not afford to continue. I talk about the supply chain being affected and inflation in relation to the COVID hoax and the manipulated conflict between Russia and Ukraine in the last episode. The plan is to bankrupt countries to which, in response, banks and international financial and banking organisations like the IMF and others can come forward offering a new global economic system based on a cashless digital currency which is planned to be combined with a digital ID, tracking, vaccination status, carbon footprint and social media activity in a Western version of the social credit system in China. I've said for years that this is the plan. I've also said the plan was eventually for a third world war between the West and Russia and China. Once you know the agenda and its structure and method of imposition, calling the future is very simple. The idea is to alert enough people to trigger an intervention so that future doesn't manifest. And since 2020, unprecedented numbers of people have become aware that the direction of human society is long planned and coldly calculated and not random and spontaneous in the way that it's presented to us. The good news is that future is down to us. We can keep going down the road of the cult's agenda, and in other words, clueless of what's really happening and why, or people can start to question what they're told for once in their lives, for many people, and look at the alternative media and alternative explanations. If people had done that in spring of 2020 and onwards throughout the COVID hoax, they would have seen that all the pieces, all the information was there to find, to show that COVID was a ginormous hoax, as I show in great detail over three devastating chapters in the new book including a chapter about the covid fake vaccine if they'd seen that then a lot more people would still be alive now having not taken the covid fake vaccine including children and a lot more businesses and jobs would still exist now meaning the economy would be in a far better state than it is now instead people just watch bbc news cnn and the equivalent in other countries and just believe what government said and just did whatever the government told them they had to do and that's led us so far to the current situation economically and financially along with the manipulated conflict between Russia and Ukraine. And the next subject of this episode is government COVID policy. This is in The Guardian. COVID might have changed people's personalities, study suggests. The impact of the COVID pandemic may have been so deep that it altered people's personalities, according to research. The government response to a non-existent pandemic did that. Previously, psychologists have failed to find a link between collective stressful events, such as earthquakes or hurricanes, and personality change. However, something about the losses experienced or simply the long grind of social isolation appears to have made an impact. Younger adults become moodier and more prone to stress, less cooperative and trusting and less restrained and responsible, according to the authors of the study led by Professor Angelina Sutin of Florida State University College of Medicine. Sutin and colleagues used assessments of personality from 7,109 people enrolled in the online Understanding America study that had been repeated at various times before and during the pandemic. Participants were given a widely used personality test that measures five traits, neuroticism, extroversion, openness, agreeableness, and conscientiousness. Participants 
Aged 18 to 109 took the tests pre-pandemic early and later in the pandemic with an average of three tests per participant. During the first phase of the pandemic, March to December 2020, personality was relatively stable with only a small decline in neuroticism compared to the pre-pandemic. This could be down to COVID providing a reason for feelings of anxiety and making it less likely for people to blame their own disposition, the author suggested. The reduction in neuroticism had disappeared by the second half of the pandemic, 21 to 22. The study suggested then was replaced by declines in extroversion, openness, agreeableness and conscientiousness compared to pre-pandemic personality. The changes were about one-tenth of a standard deviation equivalent to the size of fluctuation typically seen over a decade of life. Younger adults showed the biggest changes in the oldest group of adults had no significant changes in traits. According to the authors, personality tends to be more malleable in younger adults and the pandemic may have also had a more negative impact on this age group. Although the pandemic was stressful for everyone, it disrupted the normative tasks of younger adulthood, such as school and the transition into the workforce, and being sociable and developing relationships, said Sutin. It is speculative because we did not measure reasons for the change, but this disruption may have had a larger impact on younger adults because these tasks are very important for this age group. Uh, the article continues, the researchers will continue monitoring the cohort to see whether the personality shifts are temporary or more enduring. It is interesting, uh, this quote says, to see this average effect, despite the fact that people must deal with the things going on quite differently, said Professor Wibke Lydorn, a psychologist at the University of Zurich, who was not involved in the research. He goes on to say, one interpretation is that not having the normal formative experiences put development on hold. It will be interesting to see if these traits bounce back. The findings the article concludes are published in the journal PLOS 1. Well, in the new book, I look at the psychological effects of government COVID policies like lockdown, social distancing and masks. Children's psychology has been impacted by these policies in ways I examined in the new book. And I also explore the psychological techniques used on the population as a whole to manipulate and coerce people into accepting government COVID policy. Government COVID fascism. COVID-19 is the single greatest psychological operation in human history and is a perfect case study for how to manipulate and control people. When people say a few people can't control the world, well, they did during the COVID era and now they want to bring COVID back or rather the fake virus and propaganda back or another virus that they invent out of nothing. They make up, in other words. And being aware of the manipulation techniques used on the population the first time will make us equipped to avoid falling for the propaganda in the winter, when if they are going to bring it back, that's when they will. And they'll go for force with the COVID hoax again. I talk in the last episode, as I do in the new book, about the fact that cold weather on its own can cause flu-like symptoms. Far more people die from cold weather than warm weather. Cold weather is the real danger to the planet, not a warming caused by the sun. When people get flu-like symptoms in the winter the media and government are going to say it's the twin demic we warned you about in the autumn get your covid and flu vaccines now the flu vaccine in britain is mrna don't know about other countries but in britain the flu vaccine is mrna just like the covid vaccines are mrna and of course a lot more people are going to die from cold weather this year than normal because a lot of people won't have the heating on because of the cost of living so the cold weather is going to affect more people and the number of people that die from the cold in a year is far outweighs the number of people who die from what they say is climate change. And the next subject of this episode is, this is in the Daily Mail, 
Autumn Covid wave officially kicks off. NHS virus admissions jump by half in a week and will only get worse as hospitals start cancelling ops because of extreme pressure before, before winter pressures even begin. England's autumn Covid wave is officially kicked off, top experts claim today, as figures reveal both cases and virus admissions to hospital are beginning to spiral. NHS statistics show a 48% weekly uptick in the number of infected patients in England needing treatment, sparking panic among health chiefs. And the Office for National Statistics, which tracks the size of the country's outbreak, estimates cases have risen 12% over the space of three days, suggesting pressure on hospitals is nowhere close to peaking. Roughly 860,000 people in England are thought to be carrying COVID. It marks the first sustained rise since mid-July, when the summer wave peaked and ministers faced forced to bring back pandemic-era restrictions. Hospitals have been overwhelmed all summer, care backlogs have amassed to record highs, patients have been killed by ambulance delays and thousands forced to queue 12-plus hours in swamped A&E units. The never-ending crisis, largely fuelled by a lack of staff, has already forced one NHS trust in Nottinghamshire to start cancelling routine operations. Rationing care is the only way to ensure critically ill patients get urgent care, boxes said. Leaders fear the situation will only worsen as routine winter pressures begin to bite, with COVID and flu expected to combine to create a twindemic. NHS data shows 7,024 infected patients were taking up hospital beds by 8am. Patient numbers have been falling since mid-July from a peak of 14,000, which was triggered by the emergence of Omicron sub-variants BA.4 and BA.5. But this decline came to a halt in mid-September. The latest figures show all regions are recording a rise in patients with southwest England back to levels. However, numbers remain well below the 34,000 in January 2021 before the COVID vaccine rollout was taken effect. The rate of daily virus hospital admissions is also increasing with 7.6 admissions per 100,000 people in the week to September 25th, up from five the previous week. Rates are highest among people aged 85 and over at 82 per 100,000. However, 6 in 10 so-called COVID patients were primarily admitted to hospital for another round and just happened to test positive. Health chiefs say the infected still pile pressure on hospitals because they have to be isolated from patients who are not infected. Hospitals have already started cancelling scheduled operations and with extreme pressures due to high numbers of patients showing up at emergency departments in the bed blocking crisis. Nottingham University Hospitals NHS Trust and Sherwood Forest Hospital NHS Trust said uh, they declared a critical incident amid concerns that patients face long waits to access hospital beds. In response, they postponed planned operations that involved an overnight stay so emergency patients with the most urgent clinical need could be prioritised. The move comes despite the UK only being in the early days of autumn, with health chiefs warning that pressures on the NHS is at the worsen. Officials warned of a twin-demic ahead with both COVID and flu expected to be circulating in high levels this autumn and winter. Flu, which killed 10,000 to 20,000 Britons per year before the pandemic, is expected to further strain the already crippled health service, but the wave, which experts fear will, will last longer and hit more than ever before, has not even started yet, and ministers have warned of a triple whammy from both viruses and the cost of living crisis, which is expected to cause the public's health to deteriorate. With a surge in people seeking hospital care due to COVID flu and the economic crisis in the coming weeks, the cancellation of more the cancellation of more routine operations could be on the horizon. Millions of procedures were cancelled during the first year of the pandemic as hospitals prepared to treat an influx of those sickened with the virus. 
and thousands more were cancelled last year despite the successful vaccine rollout and the virus not posing enough of a threat to bring in tough restrictions. Any extra stress on the health service is expected to exacerbate its already record low performance. Nearly 7 million patients in England were already in the queue for routine hospital treatment by July. The latest data figures are available for. The figure equates to 1 in 8 people, including nearly 380,000 who have faced year-long delays, and paramedics took 43 minutes on average to reach heart attack patients, double the target. Meanwhile, 3 in 10 A&E attendees were forced to wait longer than 4 hours in August, nearly 1,000 per day endured 12-hour waits, and tens of thousands of cancer patients are facing staggeringly high waits for their diagnosis and to start treatment. Medics have urged the ministers to be frank about just how awful this winter is going to be, while the public no longer able to bank on getting high quality and timely care from the £150 billion a year NHS. Health leaders who insist they are planning through the backlog blame issues in social care for the crisis. It comes this latest data from the ONS shows infections in England jumped by more than a tenth to 857,400 in the space of just three days to September 17th, with one in 65 thought to be carrying the virus. The figures based on swabs taken from thousands of Britons suggest that COVID rates in Wales jumped 58% in a week. Some 62,900 people thought to be infected, equating to 1 in 50 people. Sarah Crofts, Deputy Director of the survey, said it is too early to identify whether this is the start of a new wave of infections. We will continue to closely monitor the data. Experts believe the increase is likely due to a back-to-school effect, as well as Britons returning from the summer holidays. The data also shows cases increased in all parts of the country, although the ONS noted that the trend in East Midlands and the Southwest was unclear. The West Midlands, Northeast, and Yorkshire in a hundred log the rates of the virus. The prevalence of the virus increased among all ages, with rates being highest among the over fifties and sixteen and sixteen to forty-nine year olds. Professor Tim Spectra, co-founder of the Zoe study, said it's clear we're now seeing an autumn wave of COVID combined with increases in hospital emissions. With rates on the rise, especially in vulnerable elderly age groups, the impact on hospitalizations could be higher. Well, how many of these virus admissions are people who have taken the COVID fake vaccine, which doesn't meet any criteria of a vaccine, and been hospitalized because of the fake vaccine, and then tested positive with a fake test in hospital? How many are people who had operations and consultations cancelled who now need hospitalisation as a result and tested positive with a fake test in hospital? The increase in cases has nothing to do, as the article suggests it could be, with kids going back to school, people coming back on the holidays or anything else in terms of social interaction. The cases come, as I was pointing out in the spring of 2020 and as I explained in great detail in the new book, from a test which is not testing for the virus because it cannot test for viruses. Flu which disappeared worldwide in the last two years, is now making a comeback, apparently. I've heard people say COVID is the flu redesignated. When the flu virus, influenza, just like the COVID virus, SARS-CoV-2, has never been proven to exist. Same with the common cold viruses. No virus has ever been proven to exist, as I explore in great detail in the new book. Flu did not disappear because it never appeared. Flu and common colds are not caused by viruses. Flu and flu-like symptoms which were attributed to COVID are actually the body detoxing and healing itself. They're not symptoms of an illness, they're the body's natural healing mechanism. People might say, well how do you explain people dying after flu-like symptoms? The toxicity and material the body is trying to expel through the mouth, nose and other orifices, shall we say, 
can overwhelm the body to the point that the body cannot get rid of it before it kills the person. So it appears as if the symptoms were the illness because the person died after the symptoms, but actually the symptoms were the body carrying out a detoxification, which it was unable to complete before the person died. Toxins and other material which should not be in the body can cause damage to organs, for example, which the body is unable to repair in time or repair at all. Pain. Nobody likes pain, but we experience pain for a reason. It's telling us there is a problem in the body. The problem is not always at the site of the pain. Acupuncture, for example, sticks needles in certain parts of the body to rebalance the flow of information and energy, which is currently blocked, and the blockage causes the pain. People ask, why are you sticking a needle in the foot to cure a headache? The blockage of information is not in the head, it's in the foot, so it doesn't make much sense to stick the needle in the head, does it? I explain how alternative methods of healing can work in the new book. One of the silver linings of the COVID hoax is that it has brought to attention very clearly that a new medical paradigm based on a new understanding of the body and biology is needed because the current paradigm is fundamentally flawed and only causes more problems without addressing the root cause of sickness, which is why the current medical system only treats symptoms, not causes, or seeks to make symptoms more bearable. The root cause is never addressed because the current medical paradigm won't go where the causes are because the implications of going there for understanding reality and the true nature of the human form if it did, as I explained in the new book. And the next subject in this episode is the COVID fake vaccine. This is in the Daily Mail. AstraZeneca uncovers what's triggering blood clots after its jab. Vaccine acts like a magnet and attracts platelets which body mistakes for a threat and attacks. Scientists believe they have solved the mystery behind the extremely rare blood clots caused by the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. A team of international experts involving researchers from AstraZeneca say that in a very small number of cases, about 1 in 100,000 in the UK, the vaccine can set off a chain reaction which leads to the body confusing its own blood platelets for fragments of virus. The British-made vaccine is thought to have saved about a million lives from COVID and was the backbone of the UK's initial rollout earlier in the year, helping it to become the most vaccinated country in the West. But concerns about clots or its restriction in under-40s in the UK in spring and led Pfizer and Moderna's vaccines being favoured for young adults and its boosters. It was outright banned in many European countries and the US decided not to purchase a single dose. They found the shell of the vector vaccine, the weakened cold virus used to teach cells how to neutralise COVID, sometimes acts like a magnet and attracts platelets, a protein found in the blood. For reasons the scientists are still probing, the body then mistakes these platelets as a threat and produces antibodies to fight them. The combination of the platelets and the antibodies clumped together leads to the, found, leads to the formation of dangerous blood clots. But they stress this is extremely rare, with only 426 cases in the UK recorded. The cases so far, out of about 15 million doses of the vaccine, equivalent to less than 1 in 100,000, the side effect has been linked to 73 deaths in the UK. Researchers are now doing further work to learn more about the process that causes these clots and if the vaccine can be tweaked to reduce the risk. The Oxford University AstraZeneca jab is an adenovirus vaccine, meaning it contains a genetically altered virus. 
in this case chimpanzee cold virus modified to be incapable of infecting the human body. The vaccine works by using chimpanzee cold virus to deliver a portion of the COVID virus's genetic code which the body then learns to recognize and prepare itself for a real infection from the virus. Adenovirus technology is also used in the single-dose Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine which has also been linked to a small number of life-threatening blood clot cases. The UK has donated the 20 million doses of the Johnson & Johnson in order to the COVAX STEAM UN's vaccine sharing program. While the AstraZeneca jab has been proven to have saved thousands of lives, the rollout was marred after it was revealed there was a rare chance of developing a life-threatening blood clot after it was administered and deaths were reported. The fallout left the jab being restricted to the over-40s in the UK and banned entirely in some countries, although it was later revealed the risk of developing a similar life-threatening blood clot from COVID itself was higher. Now the scientists involved in the new study who published their findings in the science advances say they may have uncovered the trigger causing these rare vaccine-triggered blood clots. Essentially, after being delivered into the body, adenovirus binds with a specific protein in the blood known as platelet factor 4, which is normally used by the body to promote coagulation in case of injury. Using incredibly detailed images of the adenovirus in the vaccine, the scientists demonstrated the adenovirus in the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine is negatively charged and could attract positively charged proteins like a magnet. The researchers believe that in a case of mistaken identity, the body's immune system considers this platelet cluster as a threat and releases antibodies to attack it, clumping together to it and triggering potentially life-threatening blood clots. The condition is called vaccine-induced immune thrombotic thrombocytopenia. Professor Alan Park, an expert in using adenoviruses in medicine from Cardiff University and who was involved in the study, said VITT only happens in extremely rare cases because a chain of complex events needs to take place to trigger this ultra-rare side effect. Our data confirms PF4 combined to adenovirus is an important step in, in unraveling the mechanism underlying VITT, establishing a mechanism to help to prevent and treat this disorder. Professor Parker said the team hopes their findings can be used to both better understand the rare side effects of the new COVID vaccines and design better jabs in the future. Researchers from Arizona State University were also involved in the study and used electron microscope equipment to take incredible detailed images of the adenovirus used in the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. A spokeswoman for the company told the BBC, although the research is not definitive, it offers interesting insights in AstraZeneca is exploring ways to leverage these findings as part of our efforts to remove this extremely rare side effect. The article continues, other COVID vaccines that use the adenovirus technology include the Johnson & Johnson single-dose jab, the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, which the body that examines safety of vaccines in the UK, has identified 425 cases of major blood clots in Britain who have had the Oxford AstraZeneca jab, the total of 73 of these were fatal. Such blood clots are extremely rare, however, with nearly 25 million people having received one dose and 24 million having received their second jab. Studies have shown the benefits of giving AstraZeneca's vaccine to 40 to 49 year olds outweigh the potential risk with the jab preventing 1.7 ICU admissions per 100,000 people compared to the risk of 1.2 blood clots per 100,000 people. However, this risk-benefit calculation swung the other way when it came to younger age groups. The AstraZeneca jab was pivotal to the UK's initial vaccine rollout in the closing weeks of 2020, helping it become the most vaccinated nation in the West at the time. Last week, AstraZeneca boss Pascal Sario suggested the UK's widespread adoption of the jab compared to EU nations could display one continent is starting to record higher intensive carriers despite having similar case numbers to Britain. Mr. Sario told the BBC Radio Force Today programme, when you look at the UK, there was a big peak of infections but not so many hospitalisations relative to Europe. In the UK, this vaccine was used to vaccinate older people, whereas in Europe initially people thought the vaccine does not work in older people. T-cells do matter. It matters to the durability of the response, especially in older people, and this vaccine has been shown to stimulate T-cells to a higher degree in older people. We haven't seen many hospitalisations in the UK, a lot of infections for sure, but what matters is are you severely ill or not.
There's another story here on the COVID fake vaccine. This is also in the Daily Mail. Did the COVID jab make a famous doctor's cancer worse? One thing about this vaccine before I get into this article, we don't know the full extent of what this vaccine can do. This is the article. Did the COVID jab make a famous doctor's cancer worse? Belgium immunologist claims his lymphoma is floating like fireworks after getting booster. A top doctor has spoken out over concerns that his cancer progressed after having a third dose of the Pfizer COVID vaccine. Dr. Michael Goldman, 67, was diagnosed with lymphoma cancer of the immune system. Here we go again. Last summer, the immunologist, who has been a supporter of medical research for decades, received his third Pfizer chapel weeks later, after his cancer symptoms worsened days after his booster went for a scan. Results showed his cancer had exploded like fireworks on the right side of his body, the same side he was chapped on. Dr. Goldman of Erasmus Hospital in Brussels concluded that the worsening of his condition may have been down to the jab after scouring through hundreds of scientific papers. However, he is now cancer-free and is still encouraging others to get the vaccine, warning that even if the vaccine potentially boosted the spread of his cancer, it is a very rare side effect. Both Pfizer and Moderna, which made the COVID mRNA vaccine study, all reported jab side effects and a family link between their injection and cancer, and some patients have even told how their cancer shrunk after getting jabbed. Scientific evidence for that? Where's the evidence for that, that the vaccine can treat cancer? Dr. Goldman had a full body CT scan last summer after suffering night sweats and swollen lymph nodes. Results showed cancerous growth near his left armpit and along his neck, which was diagnosed as lymphoma, cancer of the immune system. Over concerns he would soon be immunocompromised, Dr. Goldman rushed forward his, for his third COVID jab on September 22, 2021. But just days after being immunized, his lymph nodes became more swollen, his night sweats worsened, and he was forced to take afternoon naps due to low energy. He underwent another full body scan on September 30th, six days before he was due to start cancer treatment. The results showed he had dozens of new cancer lesions, including down the right side of his neck, when they had been previously been largely confined to the left. Medics immediately prescribed steroid pills, warning that the swift spread was unusual, and he underwent six rounds of chemotherapy and is now cancer-free. But in an interview with the US magazine Atlantic, Dr. Goldman shared concerns that the rapid spread of his cancer may have been triggered by his booster after weeks of sifting through scientific papers. He thinks the same way that the jabs protect against the coronavirus by boosting antibodies and T-cells to fight off the virus may be to blame. Dr. Goldman said some studies suggest that in extremely rare cases, COVID childs may boost T-cells to the point that they expand to form more recent tumours. Research also suggests that cancer patients' lymph node cells go into overdrive after getting vaccines. Other researchers have also reported the potential rare side effect. Dr. Aaron Mangold, head of clinical dermatology at top US hospital group, the Mayo Clinic, published a paper last spring on a patient whose rare skin lymphoma came back after their first Pfizer jab. However, that patient's second dose had no effect on the cancer, and the incident may have been a coincidence, Dr. Mangold noted. Isn't it amazing how many coincidences there are when it comes to the COVID vaccine? Or any vaccine, for that matter. Dr. William Murphy, an immunologist at UC Davis, told The Atlantic that Dr. Goldman's cancerous behaviour appears to be linked to the vaccine, given the huge difference in the scans of the tumour progression in a very short period of time. However, medics noted that it is impossible to be certain about the link because it's just one case report. They've got quite fond of having a house to live in. Dr. Stephen Horitz, a cancer doctor at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Centre in New York City, said he has not seen any link between vaccination and a relapse or progression of cancer among his patients. And he noted that cancer patients are especially vulnerable to COVID and jabs are the best way to reduce the risk. 
Dr. Goldman himself noted that it would be premature to extrapolate his case to other patients with the same cancer, and he said people should still get vaccinated. Do you think they would print if he'd said people should not get vaccinated? Do you think they would mention that? However, the immunologist is unsure whether he will get his fourth. Some anti-vaxxers have seized at Dr. Goldman's concerns to argue that the jabs are a toxic bioweapon. They are. Pfizer and Moderna said they take side effect reports very seriously, but there has so far been no identified correlation between the vaccine and cancer. There have even been cases of cancer patients seeing their tumours shrink after getting the COVID vaccine, though this may also be a coincidence. Well, it might be, given that there's no evidence for it, and the idea that vaccines can treat cancer is, as far as I know, never been investigated. Dr. Goldman said that if the spread of this cancer was a COVID vaccine side effect, it must be very rare, and getting jabbed is the right thing to do. Well, it's the right thing to do if you want your health to be destroyed and potentially life changed forever and life ended. And this doctor who says it's the right thing to do obviously has not looked at the unprecedented number of reports of adverse events in the yellow card system and the bear system in America. He's not looked at the number of sports players worldwide who have faced health problems and had to retire and faced heart problems and some of whom have died as well by the way he's obviously not looked at any information other than what he's told by the pharmaceutical cartel and what the official narrative says another covid vaccine story or fake vaccine this is in the daily mail jab got your tongue Pfizer COVID vaccine caused debilitating lesions that left 60-year-old woman unable to eat for months. A 60-year-old woman suffered debilitating lesions on her tongue after receiving Pfizer's COVID vaccine with each shot making her symptoms worse. Her side effects, which also included a dry mouth and inflammation, were so painful she was unable to eat. Doctors struggled to find the culprit for nine months. Did they really? during which she lost 17 pounds. By the time she was finally diagnosed, her swollen tongue had began to split open, leaving sores. She was diagnosed with Sjogren's syndrome, a condition that sees the immune system go haywire and damage healthy parts of the body. Her symptoms were finally cured with a six-week course of topical steroids. Doctors chronicled the rare side effect in a report. It's always rare, isn't it? No matter how many people it happens to, it's always rare. Doctors chronicled the rare side effects in a report published last month in the American Journal of Case Reports. The unidentified patient from Australia received three vaccine doses in total, two of which formed the initial course, as well as a single booster. Similar symptoms were also documented in patients infected with the virus, which led to the condition being dubbed COVID tongue. How do they know those people had COVID? They tested positive with a test that can't test for viruses. Oral sores are not a new phenomenon after a vaccine has been spotted in people following flu, hepatitis B and papillomavirus jabs. But only a handful of cases have been reported after COVID vaccines, despite billions of doses being administered worldwide. The unnamed patient developed sores in her mouth about three days after receiving the first dose of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Her symptoms had partially abated before she received the second dose, after which the symptoms returned still more severely. She underwent a cadre of blood test to rule out other diagnoses such as HPV and other infections. She was referred to an outpatient rheumatology clinic with suspected Sjogren syndrome, an autoimmune disease which causes the immune system to attack glands that produce moisture in the eyes, mouth and other parts of the body. Doctors first prescribed a topical version of clonazepam, 
benzodiazepine that when ingested orally can treat burning mouth syndrome. When that did little to alleviate her symptoms, doctors prescribed an oral steroid which caused symptoms to improve 60% but treatment stopped because it was causing the woman abdominal pain. Doctors finally settled on a lower dose topical iteration of the steroids dissolved in water and taken consistently for about 6 weeks until symptoms abated. The condition was not easily diagnosed and doctors were puzzled at first. Were they really? While oral symptoms can be associated with the Pfizer vaccine, they are uncommon and likely under-recognized by providers who do not specialize in oral health care. Writing in the journal, the doctor said a subsequent review of the timeline of history and medications, including vaccinations. Let's read that again. Writing in the journal, after the doctor's worst nightmare had come true, they had to admit... A subsequent review with the timeline of history and medications, including vaccinations, identified a clear relationship between the exacerbation of oral symptoms after each Pfizer-BioNTech vaccination. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's database for COVID vaccine side effects does not include oral symptoms. A major caveat is that reporting the adverse effects is voluntary and therefore cases may be underreported. This case demonstrates that oral symptoms could be associated with the COVID vaccine, which is likely under-recognized by practitioners, by practitioners outside the field of oral health, the doctor said in the case study, they advised the medical community to be on the lookout for similarly unusual effects of vaccination. Roughly 68% of the US population, nearly 225 million people, is fully vaccinated against COVID, they say. I don't think there's anything near the figures they say. Meaning they have received the prescribed two doses of vaccines. Nearly 110 million Americans they say have received the first booster shot. Roughly 35% of the US population, over 50 the subset of people who are eligible have received their second booster doses. Well, in the new book, I have a whole chapter about the COVID fake vaccine, and it's quite a lengthy chapter. And it tears apart the myth that the va fake vaccine is either safe or effective. It tears it apart. I look at the trials, I look at the contents of the vaccine uh, consequences for people, especially sports stars which can't really be ignored they can ignore people in the general public and i've just got a long list of sports stars whose careers have been affected and who have had terrible consequences including some having to retire from sport because of the effect of the fake vaccine on a scale that is unprecedented for sports stars who are supposed to be in the prime of fitness worldwide i look at various elements of the covid vaccine or fake vaccine in the new book and it's very clear that the COVID fake vaccine is the single greatest medical scandal in history. And the people knowingly responsible for the fake vaccine, both in terms of the pharmaceutical cartel and those promoting and imposing it, must be brought to justice. And we must not rest until they are. next subject of this episode is Mermaid's Transgender Charity, so-called charity. This is in the Telegraph. NHS staff told not to promote Mermaid's Transgender Charity. Health bosses have told frontline staff not to publicise the work of the transgender rights charity Mermaid's and information material for patients following a series of controversies involving the group. Black Country NHS Integrated Care Board has written to all its primary care staff urging them on safeguarding grounds not to signpost to this charity at this time and remove references to them in any support materials you may have. The board told its GPs and other primary care staff that its safeguarding team was aware of adverse media coverage 
over a series of controversies involving mermaids, which is being investigated by the Charity Commission following telegraph revelations that it was handing out potentially harmful breast binders to girls as young as 13 behind the parents' backs. It has also been revealed that Jacob Breslow, one of the mermaids, trustees spoke in an event held by an organisation that provides professional services for self-identified individuals who are sexually attracted to children. It has also been revealed that Jacob Breslow, one of the mermaids, trustees spoke at an event held by an organisation that provides professional services to help paedophiles live in truth and dignity. Breslow quit his role last week after it emerged that he had given a presentation at an event for Beef for UACT, an American group that promotes professional services for self-identified individuals who are sexually attracted to children. Dr. Breslow said in the statement, I unequivocally condemn child sexual abuse by workers about protecting marginalised children and young people, not exposing them to harm. I believed at the time that the purpose of the conference was to enable better treatments and interventions to prevent harm, that prevent harm to children. I have not been affiliated with before UACT since. I decided to resign as a trustee and roommate as I did not want to distract from the good work the charity is doing to help transgender and gender diverse children. I'll be talking about some of the good work mermaids does later. Mermaids just denied allegations of safeguarding failures and said that it is the victim of a smear campaign, but in an email to staff leaked to Twitter, the Black Country NHS's safeguarding team appears to have taken view that it can no longer be associated with the work or aims of mermaids. A spokesman for NHS Black Country ICB said, GPs often signpost to a range of support for children, young people and their families who may have gender-related queries. We took a decision to make GPs from the Black Country aware of media coverage related to the charity mermaids and suggested that they consider not promoting the service at this time due to the ongoing safeguarding investigations by the Charity Commission given the fact that the charity's helpline, that the charity's helpline was suspended. It comes after this newspaper revealed that the information commissioner has ruled that parents do not have the right to see the content of sex education lessons urging children to become transgender allies. Material aimed at children aged 12 and above provided by the School of Sexuality Education includes links to mermaids and a seven minute video urging students to become trans allies. The decision by Black Country NHS ICB marks another setback for mermaids. The charity commission last month said that it had opened a regulatory compliance case after concerns were raised about the trans charity's approach to safeguarding young people. The charity has been sending potentially dangerous breastbiting devices to children behind their parents' backs and discussing with them how puberty-blocking drugs are totally reversible. Mermaids, which receives funding from the taxpayer runs training sessions for schools, the NHS and police forces, has been contacted by the regulator. A mermaid spokesman said, Mermaids has been made aware of Dr. Breslow's historical participation in a conference that is completely at odds with our values. Once notified, we took swift and decisive action to investigate. Dr. Breslow tendered his notice on the same day. We will be reviewing our processes and procedures in light of this event to make them even more robust. Safeguarding is of the utmost importance to mermaids and the safety of the young people we support is our highest priority. Mermaids transgender charity, so-called charity. This is in the Telegraph. NHS staff told not to promote mermaids transgender charity. Health bosses have told frontline staff not to publicise the work of the transgender rights charity mermaids and information material for patients following a series of controversies involving the group. Black Country NHS Integrated Care Board has written towards primary care staff urging them on safeguarding grounds not to signpost to this charity at this time and remove references to them in any support materials you may have. The board told its GPs and other primary care staff that its safeguarding team was aware of adverse media coverage over a series of controversies involving mermaids, which is being investigated by the Charity Commission following telegraph revelations that it was handing out potentially harmful breast binders to girls as young as 13 behind the parents' backs. 
It has also been revealed that Jacob Breslin, one of the mermaid's trustees, spoke in an event held by an organisation that provides professional services for self-identified individuals who are sexually attracted to children. It has also been revealed that Jacob Breslin, one of the mermaid's trustees, spoke at an event held by an organisation that provides professional services to help paedophiles live in truth and dignity. Breslow quit his role last week after emerged that he had given a presentation at an event for B4UACT, an American group that promotes professional services for self-identified individuals who were sexually attracted to children. Dr. Breslow said in the statement, I unequivocally condemned child sexual abuse by workers about protecting marginalised children and young people, not exposing them to harm. I believed at the time that the purpose of the conference was to enable better treatments and interventions to prevent harm, to prevent harm to children. I have not been affiliated with before UACT since. I decided to resign as a trustee in mermaids as I did not want to distract from the good work the charity is doing to help transgender and gender diverse children. I'll be talking about some of the good work mermaids does later. Mermaids just denied allegations of safeguarding failures and said that it is the victim of a smear campaign, but in an email to staff leaked to Twitter, the Black Country NHS's safeguarding team appears to have taken the view that it can no longer be associated with the work or aims of mermaids. A spokesman for NHS Black Country ICB said, GPs often signpost to a range of support for children, young people and their families who may have gender-related queries. We took a decision to make GPs from the Black Country aware of media coverage related to the charity mermaids and suggesting that they consider not promoting the service at this time due to the ongoing safeguarding investigations by the Charity Commission given the fact that the charity's helpline, that the charity's helpline was suspended. It comes after this newspaper revealed that the Information Commissioner has ruled that parents do not have the right to see the content of sex education lessons urging children to become transgender allies. Material aimed at children aged 12 and above provided by the School of Sexuality Education includes links to mermaids and a seven-minute video urging students to become trans allies. The decision by Black Country NHS ICB marks another setback for mermaids. The Charity Commission last month said that it had opened a regulatory compliance case after concerns were raised about the trans charity's approach to safeguarding young people. The charity has been sending potentially dangerous breastbiting devices to children behind their parents' backs and discussing with them how puberty-blocking drugs are totally reversible. Mermaids, which receives funding from the taxpayer-run's training sessions for schools, the NHS and police forces, has been contacted by the regulator. A mermaid spokesman said, Mermaids has been made aware of Dr. Breslow's historical participation in a conference that is completely at odds with our values. Once notified, we took swift and decisive action to investigate. Dr. Breslow tendered his notice on the same day. We will be reviewing our processes and procedures in light of this event to make them even more robust. Safeguarding is of the utmost importance to mermaids and the safety of the young people we support is our highest priority. Well, Mermaids is not a charity for transgender people and people who feel they're in the wrong body. Can you be born in the wrong body? Mermaids is a front for the cult agenda, whether they know it or not, just like the woke, which promotes transgender, are foot soldiers for the cult's agenda but don't realise it, and the same with Extinction Rebellion, although I think at the core of that organisation they will know. The Green Movement has been co-opted to redirect it to call for the cult's agenda, while many in that movement, just like the woke, think they're challenging the establishment. They're calling for exactly what that which controls the establishment, the cult, want them to call for. Once again, we come back to the cult's agenda, because that is the foundation of everything. Mermaids, Stonewall, and other transgender organisations remind me of Zionist organisations, which claim to be about Jewish people when they are censorship organisations with serious power to cancel events and deny people a platform if they're saying things to the Zionist network controlled by the cult, especially the saboteur of Frankist part of the cult, 
don't want them to see. I talk about the Sabatine Frankist cult in episode 59, part 2. They have serious power, yes, but it's only the power people give away to them. Likewise, Mermaid, Stonewall, and the medicalization and overdiagnosis of children in the name of transgender is only happening because people are giving these organizations and doctors their power by staying silent. I watched a very good documentary on this issue called No Turning Back on the iconic media platform at iconic.com, I-C-K-O-N-I-C, which you can watch with a seven-day free trial. The documentary talks to people who have transitioned and regret it, and also the medicalization and overdiagnosis of children as transgender and the consequences which can come from that. I recommend watching it. We have the power, we just have to use it. next subject of this episode is the hurricane in Florida or Hurricane Ian. This is in The Guardian. Hurricane Ian, Florida, Carolina's climb wreckage to assess deadly toll. As Hurricane Ian appended the lives of millions along the southeastern United States, authorities sifting through the wreckage in Florida and the Carolinas were reporting a few dozen deaths as of Saturday. This is published on the 1st of October. And the state's residents were early in the stages of rebuilding from one of the strongest, most expensive hurricanes in recent American history. The storm had worked its way north after slamming into Florida and slowly weakening, gathering some of its strength back from the warm Atlantic Ocean waters before hitting South Carolina on Friday. It made its second U.S. landfill in Georgetown, 16 miles north of Charleston, destroying parts of four popular piers, including two in Myrtle Beach. Though Charleston was mostly spared from the worst of the storm, the city's mayor, John Tecklenburg, told the local Post and Courier its impacts on the community were still significant with the number of roads closed, residents without power and flooding damage. It was the third hurricane to make landfall in the state in six years, after Matthew in 2016 and Isaias in 2020 both caused significant damage. South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster said at a press briefing that no storm-related deaths were reported there. There is some damage, there is some heartbreak, there is work to be done, McMaster told reporters, but all in all it was a good story. But things in North Carolina and Florida were more dire. By Saturday morning, an estimated 1.2 million people remained without power in Florida, with hundreds of thousands more in North Carolina and thousands in Virginia as the storm weakened to a post-tropical cyclone. In North Carolina, four people have reportedly died in the storm's aftermath, according to Governor Roy Cooper's office. Dozens of people, mostly in Florida, have now died from drowning and other storm-related causes that initially rippled or ripped even through Florida's coast earlier this week, flooding streets and houses. Florida officials confirmed that at least 27 people have died there so far, though that number is expected to substantially rise as rescue crews search through the wreckage for survivors through the weekend. In fact, the Sheriff's Office of Lee County, Florida, reportedly confirmed the deaths of 35 people from Ian in its jurisdiction as of Saturday, though it wasn't clear if state officials had also made the same confirmation. Three people died in western Cuba earlier in the week from the storm. During a media briefing on Saturday, U.S. Coast Guard Commander Rear Admiral Brendan McPherson estimated that 4,000 people were rescued across Florida by various agencies. McPherson said that Sanibel Island off the coast of Florida's mainland was going to be out of commission for some time. It was hit very hard. It does not have water. It doesn't have the basic infrastructure. McPherson told reporters an assistant administrator for the Federal Emergency Management Agency and Bink estimated that 10,000 people were displaced from their homes and forced to stay in shelters on Friday night. Aerial footage captured by the National Ocean Service showed once lush areas of Florida's coastal communities hit hardest by the storm, now completely ravaged. One resident described the Tampa Bay Times, or to the Tampa Bay Times, the decimation of Fort Myers Beach as if somebody took an atom bomb and dropped it. In a video update, the city's mayor, Ray Murphy, said that emergency crews are working around the area to aid residents. There's no way to sugarcoat it. There's just a hell of a lot to do down here, he said, but we're up to the task. 
The article continues, Meanwhile, heavy rains caused neighborhood flooding in more inland areas in central Florida. Officials closed a 14-mile stretch of Interstate 75 in Florida late Friday night because of flooding in the Mayaka River. Residents in some of the most affected coastal communities in Florida question why evacuation orders came later than expected despite the storm's forecast. The disaster modeling firm Karen Clark and Co. estimated that Hurricane Ian to be the fourth costliest hurricane in U.S. history, inflicted substantially more than $100 billion in damage, the Associated Press reported. U.S. President Joe Biden on Saturday issued an emergency declaration in North Carolina for FEMA to coordinate all disaster relief efforts without the purpose of alleviating the hardship and suffering caused by Ian. As crews continue to assess the damage in Florida and South Carolina, the storm's remnants dampened Virginia, where heavy rains caused power outages for tens of thousands of people as of Saturday morning. Well, you know what they're going to try and blame this on, don't you? You know, human caused climate change. That'll be blamed for this storm, which is another hoax. Climate change, not the storm. Just like COVID, based on something that's not happening. Yes, climate changes, but not because of human activity. As I show in pay-per-view in print, my first book, The Sun is the Major Driver of Climate Change. In reality check, I look at evidence for the fact that influencing weather and the atmosphere is perfectly possible and the technology has long existed to create extremes of weather like storms and hurricanes and extreme rain. We need to understand what is possible technologically, otherwise we're going to get pulled into the propaganda of storms and extreme weather of other kinds of caused by human activity. They're not. It's a hoax designed to transform human society in the image of the cult's agenda, exactly the same as the COVID hoax. In fact, solutions, climate change and solutions for COVID, are often the same. Why? Because they're two hoaxes designed to advance the same agenda. And the final subject of this episode is the Alex Jones defamation case. This is in The Guardian. Alex Jones ordered to pay Sandy Hook families $965 million over hoax claims. The conspiracy theorist Alex Jones should pay $965 million to people who suffered from his false claim that the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting was a hoax, a jury in Connecticut decided on Wednesday. The verdict is the second big judgment against the Infowars host over his relentless promotion of the lie that the 2012 massacre never happened and that the grieving families seen in news coverage were actors hired as part of a plot to take away people's guns. It came in a lawsuit filed by the relatives of five children and three educators killed in the mass shooting, plus an FBI agent who was among the first responders to the scene. A Texas jury in August awarded nearly $50 million to the parents of another slain child. The Connecticut trial featured tearful testimony from parents and siblings of the victims who told how they were threatened and harassed for years by people who believed the lies told on Jones's show. Strangers showed up at their homes to record them. People hurled abusive comments on social media. Erica Lafferty, the daughter of the slain Sandy Hook principal, Dawn Hoxsprung, testified that people mailed rape threats to her house. Mark Barden told how conspiracy theorists had urinated on the grave of his seven-year-old son, Daniel, and threatened to dig up the coffin. Testifying during the trial, Jones acknowledged he had been wrong about Sandy Hook. The shooting was real, he said, but both in the courtroom and on his show, he was defiant. 
In court of proceedings, the county will court mock the judge, called the plaintiff's lawyer an ambulance chaser and labelled the case an affront to free speech rights. He claimed it was a conspiracy by Democrats in the media to silence him and put him out of business. I've already said I'm sorry hundreds of times and I'm done saying I'm sorry, he said during his testimony. 20 children and 6 adults died in the shooting on 14th of December 2012. The defamation trial was held at the courthouse in Waterbury, about 20 miles from Newtown, where the attack took place. The lawsuit accused Jones and Infowars' parent company Free Speech Systems of using the mass killing to build his audience and make millions of dollars. Experts testified that Jones' audience swelled when he made Sandy Hook topic on the show, as did his revenue from product sales. In both the Texas lawsuit and the one in Connecticut, judges found the company liable for damages by default after Jones failed to cooperate with court rules on sharing evidence, including failing to turn over records that might have showed whether Infowars had profited from knowingly spreading misinformation about mass killings. Because he was already found liable, Jones was barred from mentioning free speech rights and other topics during his testimony. Jones now faces a third trial in Texas near the end of the year in the lawsuit filed by the parents of another child killed in the shooting. Families and their attorneys held the verdict. Chris McTighe, an attorney for the victim, said, We are going to enforce this verdict as verdict as long as it takes because that is what justice requires. There will be more Alex Joneses in this world but what they learned here today is that they absolutely will be held accountable said Lafferty. It's unclear the article continues how much of the verdicts Jones can afford to pay. During the trial in Texas he testified he could not afford any judgment over two million dollars. Free speech systems was filed for bankruptcy protection but an economist testified in the Texas proceeding that Jones and his company were worth as much as 270 million. Jones responded to the jury's decision on Wednesday by saying on his show, this must be what hell's like. They just read out the damages even though you don't have the money. They want to scare everybody away from freedom. They want to scare us away from questioning Uvalde and what really happened there or Parkland or any other event, he added. Referring to the school shootings that occurred in Uvalde, Texas this year and in Parkland, Florida in 2018. We're not scared. We're not going away and not going to stop for hundreds of thousands of dollars. I can keep them in court for years. I can appeal this stuff. We can stand up against the travesty, against the billions of dollars they want, he said. Here's a great article on Off Guardian. The Alex Jones verdict is a declaration of war on independent media by Kit Knightley. She's a regular contributor to Off Guardian. A Connecticut court has handed down a $1 billion fine, close to it, on radio host and independent journalist Alex Jones for spreading misinformation about the 2012 Sandy Hook shooting. This is a travesty, and that any could cause such an absurd penalty justice is sickening, especially when it is so obviously designed as a, a warning to everyone in the independent media. Indeed, outside of the specifics of this case, the potential fallout for everyone in the alt-media sphere is terrifying, because already the Jones precedent is being used as an argument for regulation of the internet. Forget about Sandy Hook. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. Experience teaches us that virtually nothing happens exactly as the media reports. But even if it did, even if every single word Alex Jones ever said about Sandy Hook was a deliberate lie, you cannot regulate that. You cannot make it a crime. You cannot silence people's future for words they have said in the past. That is censorship. And of course, we now have the woke mentality, which seeks to demonize people for things they said in the past. But the article continues, people have the right to free speech and that includes, must include, the right to lie and the right to simply be wrong. And that's another point worth picking up on because people ask the question, are there limits to free speech? No, because otherwise they wouldn't be free. 
Should there be limits to freedom of speech? No, nothing should be restricted in terms of speech, and that includes incitement of violence or terrorism, hate speech, medical misinformation, Holocaust denial. I don't agree with any of those types of speech, but speech must never be censored before the moment of delivery. That's the key point. After the person behind the speech gets the chance to air or publish their views, then the speech should be dealt with using criminal law if necessary, especially with things like incitement to violence or terrorism. But the speech must get out there first. Otherwise, an authority is deciding what people can see and hear. And that only ever ends one way. And I've said before now that that the goal is to reach a point eventually where people only ever see and hear the official narrative of everything and anything. So the article continues. If you take away the right to lie and the right to simply be wrong, you put the power to regulate speech in the hands of those with enough influence to create official truth or hold the right opinions. And that has nothing to do with objective truth or real facts. The media and the establishment it serves do not care about truth or facts. To take a recent example, a Pfizer executive recently reported the pharmaceutical giant never did any research to ascertain if their COVID vaccine halted transmission of the disease commonly called COVID. There was never any trial data showing the vaccines prevented transmission of COVID, and that means every outlet, channel, or pundit who claimed the vaccine stopped the spread was actively spreading misinformation. What's more, this misinformation has likely led to literally thousands of deaths, and obviously there were more adverse events. That is far more harmful than anything anyone could say about a 10-year-old school shooting, real or not. Will CNN or The Guardian or The New York Times face a billion-dollar fine? Of course they won't, because this is not about misinformation, this is about uncontrolled information. It is about regulating, even criminalising, the free flow of ideas and opinions. Even if this kind of rule were equally applied to all media on every topic, it would still be awful, and we all know it won't be. Instead, it will be applied to the independent media, to alternative and anti-establishment voices, and to the internet. If you doubt that, check the media reaction. One argument against the need for any new regulation of free speech is that we already have legal systems in place to protect people from harmful speech, threats, libel and defamation. I would add to that point by saying those laws apply after the speech has been delivered, which is how it should be. The article continues, Indeed, Jones's fate here could be held up as a prime example of the system working. But that is not enough, according to this article on NBC, which headlines Alex Jones's lawsuit losses are not enough and concludes. Defamation lawsuits are an important tool in the quest to reduce harm from harassment and abuse, but they are not a solution to the lie machines built by incredibly savvy, incredibly cynical pundits like Alex Jones. This week's verdict, coupled with whatever else happens next, will certainly make conspiracy theorists think twice before they inflict pain on private individuals in the future, but it will not solve the bigger problem, which is our world's dangerous pervasive flood of misinformation. That line about making conspiracy theorists think twice is the most honest sentence in the article and confirms one of the major aims of the Jones trial narratives to set an example. But while the point of the article could not be clearer, the author never actually uses the words regulation, legislation or censorship. He chooses to play a more subtle game with that. The same cannot be said for Simon Jenkins in yesterday's Guardian, who eschews subtlety completely. Only proper online regulation can stop poisonous conspiracies like Alex Jones. Proper online regulation. We all know what that means. It means censorship. He's not even hiding it in coy language, but openly arguing for a global censorship program. He begins by pining for the days when nobody could get a scrap of the public's attention without going through approved channels. 
there have always been Alex. Uh, uh, this is from the uh, Guardian article. There have always been Alex Jones's spreading poison from the world's soapboxes and pavements. As a boy, I used to listen to them at Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park. Their lies never made it into newspapers or, or onto the airwaves. Free speech went only as far as the human voice could carry. Beyond that, news was mediated behind a wall of editors, censors and regulators to keep it from gullible and dangerous ears. I would disagree with that. I would say the reason news was mediated behind a wall of editors, censors and regulators is to keep the official narrative communicated to gullible ears, which are the very people that watch the media regulated behind editors and censors. Anyway, the article continues. Imagine the kind of mind that is nostalgic for an age when news he is right to use quotes had to pass through a wall of editors, censors and regulators. Imagine being able to simply dismiss the multitude of the public as gullible and dangerous. Well, clearly a lot of the public are gullible. Look at 2020 worldwide as evidence of that. From there, he moves on to post the verdict against Jones and the state-backed censorship exhibited by the major social media platforms, but laments it does not go far enough, even hinting that people should have their own private websites confiscated. The main social media outlets have accepted a modicum of responsibility to monitor content. Attempts are made to keep up with the deluge of often biased and mendacious material, but by the time it is taken down, it re-emerges elsewhere. Jones has been banned by Facebook, Twitter and YouTube, but he can still reach audiences on his own website. Justice is meaningless without enforcement or prevention. Next, he tells us who exactly will be in the crosshairs of this suggested global censor. It's a predictable list. Victims may have the rule of law on their side, but that does not curb the climate deniers, anti-vaxxers, trolls and QAnon followers, or the appalling and anonymous abuse that now greets the expression online of any liberal, I might say reasonable, point of view. Liberal, the opposite of liberal in many cases nowadays. The woke mentality. Anyway, the article continues... Alongside a new, a no true Scotsman fallacy altering the definition of free speech, no one seriously believes free speech is an absolute right. He says, speaking for 8 billion people. Like all censors before, the modern censors such as Jenkins seek to codify their desire for control of the language of concern. Proselytising about the need to protect people and the greater good, they, would, they claim only censor harmful lies. Such is the call of the censor through the ages. We're only censoring heresy, we're only censoring blasphemy, we're only censoring treason. Jenkins is aware of this, even as he used a special pleading to argue his version of censorship would be different. Historians of the news media, he says, can chart a progress from early censorship by the church and crime to state licensing and legal regulation. This control was initially employed to enforce conformity, but over the past century it has also sought to sustain diversity and suppress blatant falsity. Diversity. Where? 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 Where's the diversity? Where's the balance? The public are given one version of events, and anyone else who wants to say anything else is on their own. The media has, has all the funding, all the resources, through the television, through the radio, through the internet. Anyone else who wants to say anything else has to fund everything themselves has to build up an audience from scratch, gets censored by the mainstream internet, gets ignored by the mainstream media. So where's the diversity and balance that he talks about in that quote? Where is it? The article continues. The hypocrisy is rank. Maybe they used to enforce conformity, but of course we would, we would never do that. We just want to silence people who disagree for society's sake. 
Of course, the Off-Guardian article says, none of those who seek to control the speech of their fellow humans ever claim to want to censor the truth. They call it sedition or propaganda and claim to be safeguarding the truth even as they pull out tongues or break the victims on the rack. Now they call it misinformation. It's all the same in the end. One more time for the people at the back. Free speech is not reserved for people who are right. Free speech is not for only for people who tell the truth. Free speech is not to be moderated but by a wall of editors and regulators. Free speech is not a privilege in the gift of the state, a commodity to be regulated by the government, or a child's toy to be punitively confiscated by grown-ups who know better. It is a right for everyone, everywhere, always. And if it is removed from one of us, it is removed from all of us. And that last point is key. Everyone's free speech is everyone's free speech. One person doesn't have it. Nobody has it. They only have the freedom to stay within the bounds of what authority decides people can see and hear. The Alex Jones trial verdict is insane, and while partly the award may be about the parents, it is also, as the Off Guardian article says, an attempt to make an example of Jones and intimidate people into silence. The verdict sets a dangerous precedent threatening freedom of speech. The alternative media, independent media, has faced increasing attempts at censorship and building over the last few years, especially during the COVID era, to communicate only one version of events to the public. If all people seen here is one version of events, they're going to perceive only one version of events. Behaviour comes from perception. The cult-sponsored narrative is communicated through the cult-owned media. The general public only seen here the version of events which suits the cult, so that the public will accept changes in society which suit the cult. I've got a question which I think is worth asking in relation to this Alex Jones trial verdict. How much are pharmaceutical companies, politicians and their advisors, experts, health regulatory agencies, Bill Gates and everyone else responsible going to pay for the health consequences and deaths, including of children, from taking the COVID fake vaccine, which they all assured us was safe and effective when trials were a joke? And as we now know, those who have been paying attention... Pfizer never tested their fake vaccine to see if it could stop transmission or not, as admitted by a Pfizer executive recently, even though people were threatened with their job for not taking it and castigated and ostracised by family members for not taking it on the basis that it did stop transmission. And public places imposed vaccine passports. And of course, adverse events and death reports to reporting systems like VAERS in America and the yellow card system here in Britain have received unprecedented numbers of reports. How much are they going to pay, those the people responsible for promoting and imposing the COVID fake vaccine? Nothing, because in terms of the pharmaceutical cartel, they received immunity from prosecution. So they're not liable for any health damage caused by the fake vaccine. And all these other people will pay nothing in damages. Pfizer documents released under the Freedom of Information Act and a judgment that they should be released to the public when Pfizer tried to keep them under lock and key for 75 years. 75 years, what were they hiding? Well, now they've come out, we've got some idea of what they were hiding, or trying to hide, which revealed that Pfizer was aware when they submitted data to the FDA of 158,000 adverse events, but they still rolled the vaccine out to the public through the regulatory agencies who just approve whatever the pharma companies want approving. A video presentation from the FDA in October 2020 featured a slide which the person presented skipped past quickly because the slide featured a known list of potential adverse events. I can't find the name of the video, but I remember watching it, and the slide was entitled Draft Working List of Possible Adverse Event Outcomes. If you can find the video, skip to the 2 hour 33 minute mark. 
it is on YouTube or was on YouTube at one point. And you will see the list, which includes Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a common vaccine adverse event, acute disseminated encephalomyelitis, transverse myelitis, encephalitis, convulsions, seizures, stroke, narcolepsy, cataplexy, anaphylaxis, acute myocardial infarction, myocarditis, we've heard a lot about that, those who've been paying attention, pericarditis, pregnancy and birth outcomes, again, that's something that has come to light, thrombocytopenia, again, the same, and others, including, oh yeah, death. The MHRA in October 2020 tendered for an AI software tool to process the expected high volume of COVID-19 vaccine adverse drug reactions. How can you approve a product you expect to cause a high volume of adverse reactions unless you are psychopathic, which these regulatory agencies are, the health agencies and the pharma companies, which all lock into the same cult web, ultimately, which is why they move as one unit. These agencies and corporations have committed murder, a definition of witches, killing a person with malice aforethought or with recklessness manifesting extreme indifference to the value of human life. The public were denied informed consent by these agencies and the corporations who were aware of the dangers of the COVID fake vaccine but chose to say nothing and roll out the fake vaccine anyway. How much are they going to pay in damages to the victims alive and the loved ones of those who died? Nothing. Alex Jones is sued nearly $1 billion for claiming nobody, children, in other words, died at Sandy Hook. Pharmaceutical companies claim their fake vaccines were safe and effective when they knew they were not, and children died and they have to pay nothing and face no consequences whatsoever. Anyone who laughs at Alex Jones' damages verdict and is glad it happened, while claiming to stand for freedom of speech, is lying to you more themselves. And they can laugh now, but their own freedom of speech will be threatened in the future unless they stay within the narrow parameters of the cult-sponsored official narrative on anything and everything. Unless we stand up to this and speak our truth, no matter what the level of intimidation. Because when enough people do that, authority has no power because it only has the power we give away to it. When we take it back, their game is up. So, that's it for this week. That's the news. That's the context and connections. That's pay-per-view. More to come next week. Until then, goodbye.